This is an oral history of the Lord's move at Gonzaga University in the late 1970s. It's a story of what can happen when a group of young men are captured by the enjoyment of their human spirit and the truth of the ground of the church. The following is a testimony from Peter Welp, a student at Gonzaga University who would meet the brothers, touch his human spirit, come into the church life, and eventually serve full-time as his co-worker in the Russian-speaking world. Here Scott Finney tells a brief story before introducing Brother Peter. All we knew was the small s needs to be told to people. Instead of religion, you can touch Christ with your human spirit. And we were just, just too happy about it. We were kind of, you know, crazy about it. Once there was a night, we were playing in Montana, and there was a, a, a doubleheader. And one of the college teams, North Idaho, was across the room from us. And me and Kurt were roommates. Kurt is a six, seven, six, eight guy. And uh, we had been calling the Lord, and then we finally went to bed, and we realized the guys across the hall are making a lot of noise. We, I said, Kurt, since you're six eight and I'm six foot, how about you be my bodyguard? I knock on the door of that room to tell them how to be quiet, but you stand in front of the door and you know look a certain way. So we went to the door, we knocked on it, and all of a sudden we had a feeling. We said, hey, you know, we're trying to get to sleep, but can we talk to you? So we went inside and we said, you know, you know, we saw you guys play and you saw us play. You know, I'd like to tell you there's something deeper than that little round ball. And that it's something called our human spirit. And do you know, as we were talking to them and we said, hey, could you get that Gideon Bible out of those cupboards? And they pulled them out. And, you know, one by one, the music stopped the smoking of cigarettes or whatever they're doing, stop. And they all were listening. And before you know it, we got to Romans 10 after talking about the human spirit. And the whole basketball team of North Idaho called on the Lord loudly that night and got saved. It was a precious experience. Kurt and I walked back into our rooms and said, now we'll never get to sleep because we're too happy. It was just too marvelous. But it was, it was just this kind of thing of we've got the truth. It's impacted us. We've got to tell others. I mean, we owe it to tell. It's not like we're under the demand, but we love to tell others. So it was uh, something that kept going year after year from especially the sophomore year through my senior year. And then finally, in the middle of all that, there was someone named Peter Welk, and I'll pass the ball to him. He saw us running around a field, but I'll let, I'll let Peter tell you how he came along after his charismatic experience in relation to that. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. The 1970s, as Scott shared, that was quite a uh, tumultuous time in the United States in the later 1960s. But right at, at that time, about 19, 1969, something began to happen in the United States where the Lord began to move in a very, very powerful way among the hippies and in all denominations. Young people began to be saved in droves, just in droves, in the same kind of lawless atmosphere that we're experiencing today. The Lord just uh, began to uh, pour himself out through the uh, exercise of some faithful brothers just 
in in most cases they were just one talented members not really gifted preachers just going out and preaching the gospel and people began to get saved so in that period of time my mom was attending a, a bible study on the south hill of spokane in the shone's house we all went to school with uh, rick shone and terry shone and barbara shone and and uh, so my mom and mrs shone were having a bible study and all of a sudden i think probably about 1971 they all experienced the lord's outpouring and they experienced regeneration and it changed my mom's life but my dad also experienced the same thing and they began to attend a prayer meeting at gonzaga hey, gonzaga gonzaga is it gonzaga <laughs> you know trevor says gonzaga but uh, we call it gonzaga <laughs> anyway so my parents begin to attend this this prayer meeting called uh, the Lord of Love Community at Gonzaga University. And it was a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. And man, you know, they were enjoying the Lord and singing and stuff like that. I, I may have gone there before I got saved. And all of that stuff made me very uncomfortable. But eventually in 1973, in the fall of 1973, I was 14. Was I 14 and 73? Yeah. Yeah. So mom made me, she forced me to go on this, this youth retreat. And I think I've shared this before. Eventually I saw everybody, you know, raising their hands and, oh my goodness, I just wanted out of there as fast as I could. But eventually something within me began to stir and and I just began to consider, well, maybe this, there's something to this. So I prayed and I asked the Lord, if this is real, Lord, I want to know you. And so at that point, to make it short, I, I opened to the Lord and I got regenerated like, like, you know, Scott so eloquently says, he shot into me, he shot into me in exactly the same form. I mean, and Jesus becomes absolutely real, more real than, than the physical world. I mean, he's just right there in your spirit, in that small s. But I never knew about the small s. All I knew is that I was experiencing something absolutely wonderful. Wow. So, actually, I got saved by the Lord demanding me to raise up my hands. And so when I obeyed and I raised my hands, I got regenerated. So naturally, I thought that was the unique way to contact God. And so for a period of three months after that, every time I raised my hands, I got just flooded with the Lord's presence and with the Lord's joy. Oh, my God, it was just wonderful. And then about after three months, one day I raised my hands nothing zero oh. nothing wow. and and so my i began my quest hmm. how to how to get back to that dear sweet lord jesus 
I always thought he, that he fell on me, according to Acts 2. So my life was pursuing and asking people how to experience the Lord. How, how do you get that? Where did he go? Wow. Where did he go? Yeah. And so I got all kinds of answers. You know, some told me, okay, Peter, what you need to do, you need to pray in tongues. Mm. So, oh, okay. So I prayed in tongues. You know, all that kind of stuff. And it didn't work. It didn't bring back that sweet face, that sweet presence of the Lord. And some said I needed to fast and pray. Some, you know, some said I needed to be broken, whatever. Anyway, you know, I'm 19 years old. I wasn't ready to be broken. So anyway, I, I really lost that presence of the Lord. And so I just went back to my, my worldly enjoyment, actually more so than I had been before I got saved. Mm -hmm. But when I was at the parties and things like that, inside, I always knew this is not real. What I experienced that fall in 1973, that is real, but I can't get there. I just don't know what is, I just don't know how to get there. Okay, so I graduated from high school, and I fully intended just to go to college to live an animal house life, and I got rushed by the Fijis at the University of Washington, and they accepted me, but I didn't pay my $50 registration fee in time, so I got kicked out. So the only option for me to go to college that was left was Gonzaga University, and so... <laughs> I went to Gonzaga, and Bob was there. Bob was two years ahead of me. And so I began to, to live my Epicurean college lifestyle. But, you know, regardless, regardless of how Epicurean I got, you know, inside, I knew, man, this is not the reality. The reality is what was there in when I was with the Lord, I got that, that spark within. So I'm playing soccer. I'm playing soccer out on the football field in the fall of 1977. And Scott's running backwards. And Kurt Rettenmeyer and, and Ron Amon and Scott, they're 6'8". Both of them are 6'8". Okay, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they're running forward. And Scott's going, oh, Lord. And the two big guys are going, amen. And then they, Scott goes, hallelujah. And then they all in unison go, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. That was so weird. That was so weird. But something inside my regenerated part just was drawn to them. It was just drawn to them. And so... I, I, I went up to them and I said, hey, I, I know Jesus too. <laughs> and you know how the brothers are, you know, especially how Scott is. Yeah, brother, praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, so Scott invited me up to his dorm room. Scott's dorm room became very infamous, as Bob will tell you. Uh, so I got up there and everybody is singing and singing all these songs. And first thing that Scott does is he brings out a piece of paper and he draws the three circles mm -hmm. and he shows me that I have a spirit. 
And he shows me that on the day of my regeneration, the Lord came into my spirit and that I can contact him anytime I want. Hmm. And I, I, I didn't really see the, the importance of that until later. But one thing I couldn't deny is that these guys, man, they knew how to enjoy the Lord. And they were totally faceless. I mean, you know, Scott has absolutely no self-consciousness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Scott just doesn't have any self-consciousness. And he's, he's a wordsmith. And so, you know, he just, <clears throat> he just got all these expressions like, I mean, who thinks about, you know, you know, you played basketball. We saw you guys play basketball. We, but I'd like to tell you, there's something more than that little ball. I'll tell you, there's a little ball in your being. I mean, it's about stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, so he comes up with all of these expressions, and we're just going, so, you know, brothers, just, just, just like to say that from the day I got saved, from the day I met the Lord, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to tell. But I, I, what can I say? You know, I'm with a bunch of Catholic guys here, you know, Bob and Jim. And, you know, so I came back to school at Gonzaga Prep and, you know, and I'm saying to some of my buddies, hey, you know, I, something happened to me last weekend, man. I, I, I met the Lord Jesus. They said, I found out that Jesus is real. You know what the reaction is? was, well, duh. Of course he's real. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, they, they really don't know what I'm talking about. And so it's really difficult for me. I just couldn't. I had no utterance. I had no perfecting in, in preaching the gospel. And actually, in first coming to the church meetings, I just was following Scott and Kurt and Ron and all the, all the basketball guys to the meetings uh, for the fall of 1977. And I just followed them because they were cool dudes, and I like to be cool too. That's it. I had no vision whatsoever. But in February, Scott uh, says, well, there's going to be a video training in June. And so he says, I'm going to go. And we all say, well, we're going to go too. So it's 50 bucks. Okay, no problem. So we all laid down 50 bucks to go to the video training. So Gonzaga's semester ends beginning of May. And so Scott goes back home to Oakland. And I don't remember, I think Kurt and Ron also went back to California to the West Coast. And so I'm there alone in Spokane. And without the brothers, you know, I just, I didn't go to one meeting in all of May and all of June. I didn't go to one meeting. I was just engaged in, you know, water skiing, motorcycle, and just having fun. And so one day uh, I was stopped at a stoplight at the end of June, 14th and Lincoln. And this thought just blasted into my head out of nowhere. You paid 50 bucks for some kind of, tra- what, what was that? Was it, it was, oh, it was some kind of training. Oh yeah. And then I remembered, I looked at the calendar and I, Oh my goodness, that thing is like, that's like tomorrow. And so anyway, I, I was, well, I'm just, I'm just going to blow this off. You know, I'm just, I'm just not going to go. 
but I just couldn't get over the fact that I paid 50 bucks. I paid 50 bucks. So eventually I just went to this video training and that video training was the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. So I went there in my flip flops and my shorts and sat in the back row and brothers and sisters, brother witness Lee began to open Ephesians chapter one. And the first time in my life, I heard things like God's eternal purpose, yeah. the purpose of the ages, God's good pleasure. Yeah. I was thoroughly captured that I was a man and that God needs man to accomplish his good pleasure. And as a kid of 19 years old, I just fully gave myself to that. And I saw that, that what God wanted was his kingdom and his house. And of course, that brought in the matter of the church and that the church is one and the church has a ground of locality and there shouldn't be any division in the body of Christ, but there should be only one expression of that body in every locality. There's just one church in every city. I was crazy for the ground of the church, just crazy. Yeah. So I began to preach to my unbelieving friends, the ground of the church. <laughs> and so I don't know, Jim, if I, what, I, what I told you when I preached the gospel to you, you know, but I was the first one to preach the gospel to Jim, but Jim didn't get saved through my preaching. I just couldn't get him to call on the Lord. So I brought, I brought him to my, my, my dorm room and, and I said, Scott, my, my, I'll tell him the story. Okay. All right. You can tell him the story. So, but anyway, brothers, just one thing is that, you know, in those days, we really didn't know what to say or how to say. We were just crazy. We were crazy. You know, how to start a conversation. I don't know how to start a conversation. Like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. That's it. Okay. <laughs> and, and some people really responded and some people didn't. And I think as we, we go on, we'll see uh, how the Lord really just used every situation to, to bring his, his chosen ones to himself. That's right. But eventually, in the early 80s, just a few years after that, we began to get some real perfecting related to how to preach the gospel. Scott's got this innate ability just to talk about anything and just preach the gospel. I don't have that ability. But when the mystery of human life came out and I began to just discard my, my way, my opinions about it, and just begin to preach the gospel according to the mystery of human life related to man's spirit, related to God's purpose related to sin, people began to get saved. And it would became, became much easier to preach the gospel to people by being trained. And so it's not like you have to do something, you know, rote, but in training, sometimes you need to limit yourself and practice using the word and using the mystery of human life or something 
of that nature and sp don't speak your own words, speak another's word. And I've always found that by letting go of my own word and speaking the word of God or, or using things like the mystery of human life or gospel outlines, mm -hmm. the power is there. The yeah. anointing is there. Anyway, at this point, I'm going to stop. Jib was my locker partner in high school. So we were pretty close. And so now Jim's going to take the ball. <clears throat> Next time on Stories. One night in October, I thought, you know, I'm, I don't have really anything to do tonight. So what I'll do is I'll call up Peter and I'll go down and visit Peter down at Gonzaga, down in the storm room. And so I knew that Peter was involved in, in some kind of, I didn't know what it was, religious, Christian thing. And so I went, I went down, I visited Peter, and we were talking. And, and because I knew he was involved in this, I thought I'd just tell him, hey, I've been reading this, I've been reading this book, and it had this verse in it. I thought we could connect on that or something. I don't know what I was thinking. So anyway, as soon as I got done saying that, Peter got this look on his face like what I just said to him was really, really important. And so if, if you know Peter at all, you'll get my next expression here. So, so anyway, Peter has this look on his face. He gets up out of his chair really slow and he puts his hands out like this and he, and he says, he says, Jim, don't move. 